Hey, did Santa bring you a new camera body for Christmas? Or maybe during this holiday season, you want to take advantage of some little downtime to reacquaint yourself with your existing camera. In either case, you'll want to listen to this episode and take some notes because we're setting up your new camera or resetting your old one in episode 90 of the Shutterbug Life podcast. Welcome to the Shutterbug Life Podcast. If photography is not just something you do, but who you are, this is a place for you. In this podcast, we talk about everything you need to be, do, or have to reach your true potential. Let's celebrate the creative photographer's lifestyle with your host, my dad, Linford Morton. Hey there, welcome to the Shutterbug Life Podcast. This is your weekly photography lifestyle podcast, and we're building a lifestyle around creating great pictures, building an audience, and making an impact with our images, whether that's selling them, sharing them, or showing them, whatever it is you want to do with them. I'm your host, Lynn from Morton. Of course, you can call me Lynn, and this is episode 90-090. And today, we're going to talk about setting up your new camera, or resetting your old one. I've talked to a number of you recently who have upgraded your cameras or bought new cameras. And as a matter of fact, on the last two photo walks I've been on, we've sort of had some impromptu conversations about things that you might check on your new cameras. And so I wanted to really get into that on this episode so that you have one resource you can go to whenever you get a new camera or pick up a new-to-you camera that's used, you'll know where to go to get everything set. All right, so that's what we're talking about today in episode 90. I got to tell you, the only thing better than those unboxing videos on YouTube is having your own unboxing moment. You know, you get that brand new camera and you pull it out of the box and it's all shiny and you're getting it out of the wrapping paper. And now you get to set it up and shoot it for the very first time. We all know those moments. Or... Let's say you rent a camera and you take it out of the box they send it to you in and uh, you are going to use it for either a fun shoot or a paid shoot. You better check these things. Or you've been shooting with your camera for a long time, but you really didn't take the time to get to know it inside and out. So whatever situation you find yourself in if you need to get into that getting to know you phase with your camera again, this is what we'll talk about today. These are some of the settings you're going to need to know for that first or time that you pick up a camera and decide to go out and shoot with it. Now, all settings aren't created equal, so I've broken this list into three categories. The first one is the set it and forget it category, and the names are going to be pretty self-explanatory for each of these categories. But this is what you do when you first get that camera out of the box. Most of these settings you set one time and you really won't need to think about them again, but you ought to set them the first time or you could have some problems down the road. The second is set it and know where to find it, meaning you aren't going to be going to these settings with every shoot or in every day, but when you need them, you need them. You're going to need to get there pretty quickly and pretty reliably when you do need them. So it, it's you got to know where they are. So it's set it and know where to find it. And then the third is set it and keep on setting it, which means these are settings that you will probably be using 
actively with each shoot as you go out with your camera. So if you want to make your workflow um, better or more efficient, then good gracious, you better know where to be able to find these settings it, with your eyes closed and in the dark and without thinking about it, because these are the ones you're going to need to move to and rack to very quickly when you're out shooting, all right? So three categories of settings you are going to need to work through. Let's start with the first one, the set it and forget it. The first thing you're going to want to do is download your camera manual in a PDF version. Now, I know some of you like paper. I hate paper, but that's just, you know, my own personal quirk. But if so, if you like paper, get that manual out of the box and put it into your camera bag. Put it where you'll be able to find it when you are out shooting because... In most cases, if you aren't going to sit up and curl up and read through it on a Friday night like I might, then uh, you're going to want to be able to access it as a reference when you're out shooting. So take that camera and put it into your camera bag. And if you don't want to lug around that big honk of paper, then download uh, a searchable PDF version of your of your camera manual. Now, a lot of the new cameras coming out don't even have, you know, the big paper manuals anymore. You might just have a CD-ROM or they might point you to a website where you can download the PDF anyway. Many of them just have a getting started pamphlet. But you're going to want the full manual. So find that full manual wherever wherever it is. And if it's on a PDF, then if you download the PDF version like, like I would, then make sure you have it on your phone or tablet or somewhere you can access it quickly and easily. If you have a Dropbox, you might stick it in a Dropbox. Or if you use like an Evernote or a OneNote or one of those where you can store it, you just sort of need to be able to get to it quickly um, when you have a, uh, a question. Now, that's also going to be important because for a lot of the next for the, the, the settings that I, I talk about coming up, you're going to want to find them in your manual and see where they are on your specific camera body. Now, just about ever, every camera body has these settings in a different place, even within the same manufacturer, even within the same manufacturer and category. They're, they're just mixed up all over the place. And I, I don't know why these manufacturers don't have just a common a common settings for all these things, but but they don't. So even though they're similar, like, you know, Nikon and Canon menu, menus are fairly similar and the Sony's are fairly similar, within each model, you might have some changes. So um, you want to keep it handy so you can... Now go into your specific camera and check to see where you find things, all right? All right, so the first thing you want to do in the setting, set it and forget it, is just get the basic settings out of the way. And you, you're, pro you're prompted to do this when you first turn on your camera anyway. So knock that out of the way. That's, you know, setting up the language, um, your date and time and time zone and, and those kinds of things. And I, I know some people skip right through because I'll see your camera on a photo tour and you'll have that little blinking light. And it's different on each camera, but it's sort of an orangish, reddish kind of a thing that says, makes you think you're really doing something wrong. And, and basic, basically what the camera is saying is you don't have your date and time set. <sighs> Just took a sip there. Now, this is important not just for that cosmetic reason, but also because the camera on your files puts an electronic imprint of when you shot the image, and it uses it in in reference. So you can use it to go back and sort when you took pictures and find, um, you know, pictures I took yesterday or last week. You know, this is important as a reference and also as a way of finding and sorting your your 
your images. So you're going to want to go ahead and set up the camera um, date and time. And then the copyright info, some cameras give you the option of automatically imprinting on each image. However, you want to mark your copyright or info, like, for instance, on my images, I will put copyright Linford Morton, and I'll also put the website or contact information. You can load, you can preload all those into every image you shoot. So let's say you somehow upload an image and it gets separated from your website or you send it to someone or something like that. And for some reason, it goes viral and an editor picks it up and decides that he or she wants to use it. I'll, what a lot of them will do will go into the info to see if there's any information there. And you want to have your copyright and contact information show up so that they can approach you to get the appropriate licensing and uh, and or permissions if that's how you choose to uh, to dispose of your images. So um, you can have that done automatically for you so that you don't have to think about it ever again. Um, there are also options when you uh, upload it into um, your favorite editing software to, to place it then. But just in case it just it doesn't go through that typical route, you want to have it always on your images. The minute um, it comes out of your camera, if you hand that disc to someone else, your second shooting on a wedding, you have to hand that disc over Um or however it happens to 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 be trans transferred from you to another party, you want that on your image. All right, so that's enough of that sermon. Um, now that you've got your basic settings down, you can set your diopter and eyepiece. Now, the diopter is one of those things that I think a lot of people skates by. And right on the side of your eyepiece, you will see a little rotating dial and uh, if you look in your menu in since you've downloaded your camera manual look up diopter and see where that is and see where it points to because when you rotate that little dial it focuses the eyepiece so that it works for your eye and for your specific camera and, and the thing is you can be taking photographs that are in focus but they look out of focus because that eyepiece is not properly calibrated and I, I this happens all the time as a matter of fact sometimes my thumb will bump it by mistake and I'll look through and I'm shooting and I depress my shutter and I hear the beep that says it should be in focus but it doesn't look like it's in focus I take the picture anyway and on the back of the LCD it's in focus now I know I have a diopter issue and I can go back up there point it at something beeps to see if it's in focus and then turn that dial until it's sharp in the viewfinder because it's supposed to be sharp because beep that told you it was sharp when you locked in and focused on something so you you'll want to set that and then if you have the extra eyepiece put that on and uh, set up the eyepiece the way you want to now one of the things i talked about uh, just now goes with basic settings sounds and i forgot to include that uh, just now but if you like that beep every time your your image is in focus great for some people it's annoying let's say you're shooting a wedding or shooting someplace where you've got to keep quiet you might want to turn the beep off you're doing a kind of street photography where you don't want to draw attention to yourself you might want to turn all the sounds off um, but if you're not it's for me sometimes it's just good to hear that beep to know that i've locked in focus and i can go ahead and shoot so think about sounds as part of your basic settings the next uh, thing that you want to set do in your setting and forget it is the color space settings and you'll see this usually you have two options the adobe rgb and the srgb and what this is is a specific range of colors that you can represent in a in a given photo so your jpeg images you start with raw which is just data and then the image is compressed into a jpeg and when it is, you have 16.7 million colors, although you might not actually see all 16.7 million 
uh, available, depending on how the compression works. And so you have two options of compressing it. And the difference is in some, you can have a, a more vibrant range or one that's more subtle and nuanced. Generally speaking, as photographers, we might go with Adobe RGB because you have a wider range of colors that you will see, a wider and more vibrant range of colors that you might see. Some say about 35% more of the color range is available to you than sRGB. But it but there are times when you might need or want to go with sRGB. It's so specific that if you ever happen upon that, you'll know it when you get there. Um, no need to get into that now. Just as for for this conversation and setting up your camera, you might choose Adobe RGB. All right. And now the last in the set it and forget it options is your custom menu options. And by this, I mean, you, you might come back to this actually after you're done with everything else, because in most of your menu settings from for just about every camera these days, you have a custom menu option. And then this one, you get to set up the things that you go to most frequently so that you don't have to go hunting for them every hunting for it every time you need to use it. If you know that you are often changing your self timer or changing your white balance or just whatever it is, depending on what you shoot a lot and whatever your workflow might be, you find yourself going to the same thing often. You might put it into the custom menu options so you can just in one menu get to the things that are most important to you. Again, it helps you work more efficiently and in some instances a lot uh, more quickly than you might if you had to go looking. Now, if if you're used to going through looking for things, you, you might sort of learn quickly where they are. Um, but it's always cool if you can just go to one menu and find everything you need. So when we're done with everything, go back and set up your custom menu options for the the choices that you use frequently. All right, so that's it with your set it and forget it. You set these up and you shouldn't have to mess with them again um, or mess with them very often. Now we get to the set it and know where to find it. Of course, these are the ones you're going to set and possibly come back to these every now and then. But when you need them, you need them and you're going to need to get to them quickly. The first one is where your autofocus manual button is on the body and your lens. So on many of your DSLRs, you can toggle between using autofocus, um, autofocusing or manual focusing, meaning all the autofocus is turned on or just turning it off altogether and just using manual focus by rotating the focusing ring on your lens. And in many cases, you have it in two places, both on the body of the camera and on the lens. And so you want to know where these, this are, these are. And if you want to have it default to autofocus, then you can do that in both places. And that's great. But you want to know where they are because every now and then you might automate, you might accidentally bump that and you can't get the autofocus working and you don't know why it is. You want to go and check those buttons because you know, taking the camera in and out of the bag or handling the camera. I can't tell you how many times my fingers have accidentally bumped that that toggle button and I didn't realize I did. And now I'm wondering and I'm trying to get that perfect shot why I can't get an autofocus. It's even worse if you were shooting and someone's paying you and now nothing's working properly and on the, in the moment, you can become a little frazzled. So you want to automatically check that first if you're having autofocusing issues because, you know, seven times out of 10, that's going to be the culprit either on the body or on the lens. It's usually um, we bumped one of those two and we don't realize we've done it. Okay, so check the AFM button, know where those are, because that's one of the ones when you need to know it, you need to know it. The color settings is one where 
you can set it and you might want to go back to it every now and then. The color settings is uh, where you have things like your standard, your vivid, your monochrome and, you know, other variations of of the way the camera will bake in colors and or sharpness um, settings and you can have that baked in and of course this works for your jpeg images if you're only using your raw images you won't need to mess with this as much i might move this for instance if i am out shooting and i want to do a black and white today some days like when i was we were doing the new york uh the new york weekend uh, uh, photo tour that I did with with Steve back in the fall, which we'll do again this spring, as a matter of fact. What I did for one day just to sort of stretch myself was shoot a black and white day, meaning I set that to record in monochrome. And so it baked that decision into all of my JPEGs. Now you if you get if you do both JPEG and RAW, you have the ultimate backup because the RAW file will be, will be there capturing everything. But if you want to see and shoot, so the the benefit of doing this is when I shoot it, when it pops up on my LCD screen, it's also showing it to me in monochrome. So I'm getting the full black and white experience and I'm downloading the JPEG in black and white. I've got a full black and white experience. Makes me feel like I'm shooting film back in the old days. So that's one situation where you might do that if you are playing around with Vivid. I don't do this anymore, but back when I first started shooting digital, back in my, when I had the Nikon D200, because I sort of mark my eras with cameras I owned at the time. I used to set up my own custom version of this, like one notch above on sharpening, one notch above on color, you know, one notch down on this, one notch down, you know, because you get to do, um, I think, five, four or five options on, on some cameras. Anyway, I set it up just the way I liked it. And so rather than having the the standard, um, standard, default i would have my own custom default you can do that as well so that your jpegs come out just the way you like them or the standard which doesn't give you just a a flat representation but just a little punch so that you have just a little um it's just a little more pleasing coming out of the camera if you, you say you want to pull that jpeg and post it online right away you might want to do that more so than a flat image so set up your 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 color settings and this is not this is a set it and know where to find it because you might want to toggle around this depending on what you're shooting the auto bracketing is another one where you want to know where to find it because this is another one that sometimes gets turned on inadvertently and really just kind of screws things around now the auto bracketing is Let's take a step back. Bracketing is where you take a series of three images and you shoot one the way the camera thinks the exposure should be. You shoot one a stop or some other increment underexposed, and the next one will be a stop, whatever that increment is, overexposed. So you come back, so the three images in a row you shoot are at neutral, one stop under, or whatever the interval is, or a one stop over. So you have a range of three different exposures. And this we used to do back in film days when we wanted to make sure, because we didn't have the instant feedback unit we now have with digital. So we wanted to make sure that if this is a shot you needed to have, you had a range of options so that you were likely to get it. Now, HDR shooters use it so that they can merge all three images into one and get a wider range of dark to light in in an image that they sort of combine into one image with a wider range of dark to light that you can typically get in one image out of your camera. Whatever reason you use it, if you set up the auto bracketing function, when you take three images, it will cycle through those three exposure settings, meaning you will shoot one, it'll look good, one will be dark, one will be right. And as you shoot, it'll keep cycling through those three options. 
And so if if you're ever shooting and <clears throat> you're wondering, all of a sudden my picture is dark, all of a sudden my picture is bright, I'm not sure what's going on here, it's likely that you have turned on your auto exposure bracketing by mistake. On some Canon DSLRs, <clears throat> it's easy to turn that on while you are trying to change your exposure compensation. Like the toggle switch between exposure compensation and bracketing is sort of close and easy to mistake the two uh, as you turn that dial. So you want to pay attention to that especially. So just make sure that you know where to find that so that if you ever find yourself getting dark, bright, dark, bright, dark, bright, you know where to go to make sure that that is not turned on by mistake. Or if you decide you want to bracket, you know where to go to turn that on. Um, this next setting, image type, is, of course, one of the great debates, JPEG versus RAW. And, of course, RAW gives you data and make sure you capture everything so that you can always go back and pull more when you're editing. Let's say you underexposed or overexposed, or you want to pull a greater range of colors out of a scene. You want to be able to have that available to you. So anytime you pick up a new camera, this is one of the things you almost always check instinctively. Where is my image type set? Many photographers, myself included, I like to go raw plus JPEG. So I always have the raw that I want to store. And if I need to pull, and I always have a JPEG just in case I want to yank an image quickly and post it somewhere on social media. So I have both. And if you have two card slots, you can set that up so that your card slots and... And that's going to be in a set it and keep setting it. But let's just deal with it now. If you have two card slots in your camera, you can set up the function of the second card slot, whether you wanted to fill up the first card slot and then overflow to the second one, or if you want to shoot everything that you shoot on the first card slot, automatically backs up to the second, so you always have a backup. So this is what I do. I have my RAW plus JPEG so that the RAW is shooting on my primary back uh, card and automatically backed up in JPEG onto the second. So there's always a backup in case one of the cards fails or breaks. There's a whole backup um, set there. And if I ever decide I want to just take a smaller image and work with that, I can just pull out the, seconds, the second card and, uh, you know, port that over to my iPad to work on without taking up a whole lot of space, that kind of thing. So the image type, the image type is one of those things that you want to be able to set. And uh, now depending on what I'm shooting, I might want to change uh, the JPEG. Um, and we'll get into that next image quality. Now image quality now lets you decide on the JPEGs how much compression you want to use so and how much space you want to take up. So you will see that in many you have the large, medium, small, meaning you can have little, very little compression, which gives you a wider range of colors and a better overall image, but it takes up more space. So there is that trade-off. So... You can do that, or if you, for instance, have a very uh, a small card you know, with, like, say, two gigabytes, and I don't know why this this was an, a deal seven, eight years ago, but today I'm not sure why you would have such a small card. But let's say you do, you might want to have smaller smaller size files, and so you'll get a smaller size files, but just know that you won't be able to blow them up very big. You won't be able to do a whole lot with them, and the range of colors and all those options will, uh, the dynamic range will not be as great in those files. But if you, all you want is a tiny file that you can, you know, zip throughout email and stick somewhere as an icon or so, as a placeholder, well, then that's your option. Now, even within the the large in many some cameras you will have an op and an option to say you know do you want the jag the edges jagged or most smooth and the smoother they are again 
the less compression and the more space they take. You know, my my option is for this is to get the largest you can because you can't go backwards. So I get the larger or fine or whatever your camera chooses and the smoothest. And with the side with you know cards as inexpensive as inexpensive as they are, I'll just get a 32 gigabyte or larger and it shouldn't be a problem. Okay. So now that's image quality. And then the last is your self-timer. You want to know where that is because anytime you're shooting on a tripod and or somewhere that you don't want to be depressing the shutter and potentially shaking, let's say you're doing a long exposure, you want to know where that self-timer is so you can get to it quickly. And let's face it, many times when you use this, you it will be dark. And so you won't be able to go looking for it. You'll be in the dark. So you'll want to know where that is so you can find it quickly and efficiently. And then the other thing is in your menu, in most cameras, you can set up a default option for your self-timer so that whenever you select self-timer, in most cameras, you can choose between a two-second, a five-second, and a 10-second as your default option. I typically default to two seconds because I don't want to wait a long time after I depress the shutter um, for it to go off because... 10 seconds feels like forever from when I'm out shooting and I'm in feeling impatient. Now, however, let's say you are shooting and you had to extend the center column of your tripod way up. And when you do that, the camera is just a little more unstable because that center column tends to shake a little bit more after you've touched the camera. You might want to default back to 10 seconds at that point just to make sure the camera has really stopped any residual shaking it had when you touched it or if it's windy or anytime you're in a position where the camera might continue shaking um let's say you're it's just not very steady or sturdy you might want to go with 10 seconds to give the camera tripod and camera some time to just settle down and not move all right so these are your set it and nowhere to find it options Now, set it and keep setting it options. You, of course, always want to know where to find your basic shooting modes, meaning where to find your manual setting, aperture and shutter priority, and program modes. I'm assuming we're not going to shoot in automatic mode. But you want to know where to find and how to quickly make adjustments for that. You know, some of the new... Some of the newer mirrorless and retro are now having those back as buttons, so it's easy, but easy to find and adjust. You want to be able to find and know how to move between those very quickly. These are the things you'll be changing at a moment's notice while you're shooting. You are shooting portraits and suddenly you decide that you see someone scooting by on a bicycle and you'd want to get that you might want to go from aperture priority to shutter priority to catch the subject moving so you want to know how to do that quickly and likewise you want to know where to find your metering um button because you might want to move from your default uh metering mode which is your um, you sort of a standard read the entire frame and take an average of averages to a spot metering mode or a center weighted metering mode. So you might want to choose between those at a moment's notice. So knowing where to find and quickly change your metering mode can be helpful for you. So make sure you know where that is. The exposure compensation, likewise, if you are in one of your priority modes, aperture or shutter priority or even program mode, and your image is looking darker than you want it to, then you might need to quickly brighten or darken uniformly. And having that exposure compensation button at, at the ready will allow you to quickly bump it up a stop or two or more if you need to. Likewise, if you're using the built-in flash, you can do the same thing with the flash exposure compensation mode, dimming the flat, the, the you know, um, taking down the the power of the flash so that it doesn't wash out your subject 
if your subject happens to be close to you so you can take down the flash compensation one or two stops. So knowing where to find those will probably be one of the more important decisions or things you will want to find on your camera. The other is going to be the single or continuous shooting mode, meaning you can press the shutter and hold it down and have it only take one, one image. Or when you depress the shutter and hold it down, it shoots continuously a number of images, whether whatever the max is for your camera, whether it's three per second, five per second, 10 per second. But if you are shooting somewhere and you don't want to have a whole lot of images to go through, you don't want to have it, you know, fire off three and five every time you depress the shutter, you don't need that. Then you might have it default as uh, the single shot mode. But then again, if you are shooting a sports uh, scene or something where you are following the action, you might want to be able to hold down the shutter and have it continue firing away. Know where that is because that's something you might want to go in and out of on the same shoot in some instances, but you want to know where you want it to default. Um, And then... Along the same lines, you want to move your autofocus points and set them up. So in many cameras, it comes with a default autofocus um, where the camera selects the autofocus point for you. It looks like a blank um, card. But you want to be able to set it to single autofocus point or some other. If you want to hear more about this, I talked about this on um, a previous episode that I'll put in the show notes on um, setting up your autofocus modes. So you might want to have it. I typically want to have it on a single autofocus point so that I, as I sort of move the, the toggle behind switch behind the camera, I can choose which of the autofocus points I use on any particular shot so that the camera is not choosing what will be in focus for me. So you want to set up the autofocus point. Now, there are times when you want to shoot one of those um, RGB modes or 3D modes, depending on if you're shooting um, a moving, erratically moving subject, you want might want to have the camera not full stop at one autofocus point, but just a sort of a small range where it can not just find it, but track your autofocus point. Next, you'll want to be able to find the autofocus modes. And in this one, you can choose between autofocus for a single shot or one shot, as your Canon will call it. And I have another episode where I really go into this one shot or or AFS on the Nikons or some models where when you depress the shutter, your subject has to be at a standstill and it beeps and lets you know that it's locked in and then you can recompose if you want to. Now, you can move between that mode or the servo mode, AI servo on your Canons or AFC for continuous modes for Nikons and some other brands. And what this will do is allow you to have the camera continually focus while your subject is moving so that you can um, track a moving subject and take a photograph and have that um, have that image be in focus regardless of where it happens to be at the time you depress the shutter. So you want to know where that autofocus mode setting is so that you can either default to whichever one you choose is more comfortable for you and more importantly move off from it when the time is right. Many um, photographers like to change all of that to back button focus. And so um, this is a time you'd want to set that up. And that could almost go into the set it and forget it um, section as well. Because if you use the back button, if you, which is when you assign one of the buttons on the back of your camera, to really function as a continuous focus. So as long as you're holding it down, the camera is actively focusing on a moving subject. And when you release it, then it stops. And so you can uh, take the photograph then. Many uh, photographers like that option better. It's it's one of those things that, it, you know, whatever works for you. 
but you want to know how to set that up when you first get your camera. Next, you'll want to set or find where your white balance is. And for many of our cameras, we can let it default to the automatic white balance. It's pretty accurate in most cameras, and in most situations, it will get it right. But if you see your camera on your LCD screen showing colors that look a bit off, this is where you want to, to, to go to make the adjustments. It, it, it's one of those things, you don't need it until you need it, but when you need it, you really need it. Your white balance is, and of course I have another episode on this that you can refer to. Now, for your white balance, you have about a half a dozen presets, and it's always good to be able to know how to toggle through those quickly if you need to. If you want to know which one to use, just look at your primary light source, which is usually somewhere in the sky, whether it is a fluorescent light or an incandescent, which is the old GE-looking light bulbs, or if you're outside, sunny, cloudy, if you're under shade, just look to see where the primary light source is and choose the preset that is appropriate for that. But And, and then more importantly, you want to know how to do a custom white balance setting on your camera. It's a little different on each camera, but this is where you allow the camera to, to, to see this is what white is in this light. And for some cameras, you will fill the frame with something white and take a test shot. Some cameras, you will photograph the white and then go back with the image and identify it with your custom white balance setting and say, in this picture, this is white. So there, there are two different ways um, you can do it. You can have it set automatically while you, while you do the test, and or you can have it take the image and then use that image as a reference. Either way, you're going to want to know how your camera does custom white balance setting because if you are in mixed light or some really funky light setting, you might need that. Now, of course, for white balance, that works primarily for your JPEG images. And of course, this is one of the things you can fix in post. But like many things, if you want to get it right in camera, it's always good to know how to do that. Your display review options, that's another setting you'll want to be able to find. And in, in this, I know, for instance, that when some of the entry-level and consumer-level Nikon cameras, for instance, when you buy them, they're always, they always have these turned off. Meaning, if you take an image and you want to go back and see what decisions you made while, while you're still shooting, you can, in an icon, toggle up and down on that little background ring. And as you toggle up, it will scroll through different display options, which will show you the shutter speed aperture that you use. It will show you the histogram. It will show you everything as where your highlights are, if you've blown them out, and you can scroll through different options by hitting that up and down button. Um, some cameras will do left to right, but in most cameras, it defaults to up and down. And you're going to have to go into your menu and turn those display options on to be able to see them. On your Canons, you will have the info button that you will, you will scroll through. And just to make sure that you can see because after you just shot you might want to go back and say hey what shutter speed was that did i shoot fast enough for it to have uh, not given me camera shake and you'll want to go back and take a look at the shutter speed you chose or you want to know what f-stop that was because you want to adjust it a bit to change your depth of field it's always good to be able to turn that on and go back and quickly see what you did or even go back and look at the histogram to see if that image is underexposed or overexposed. So um, find where your display review options are and uh, make sure that you have those, um, um, that you can find them because this is one you'll want to refer to while you're shooting. And then finally, once you know where all this is, you wanna come up with what I call a reset routine, meaning 
when you're done shooting with this camera and you're going to put it back in the bag and put it away for the day, you want to put it back to some of your own default settings so that whenever you pick up their camera and go running out the door, you know where those settings are. That's always a very helpful workflow item for you. So for instance, I will put mine back in aperture priority ISO 400 and uh, uh, and a lot of the other settings that I like, not because I want to shoot on that mode all the time, but because I know where the camera is, ISO 400. I know where the camera is if I pick up and run out the door really quickly and I can start shooting. There's nothing worse than picking up a camera and going out and shooting and having it set to your last night's, you know, sh you know, settings when you were boosted up to ISO 1000, 200, 800 or whatever the god awful setting you had. And now you're out in the bright sunlight and everything is snow. You've just wasted time. And so you can put it back to settings, you know, will allow you to get a basic shot in the widest range of situations. And that's what your reset routine is for. I know this will allow me to pick up the camera and depress the shutter and get something reasonable off in the widest range of situations. And so that's where my default, uh, my reset routine puts my default so that I can pick up the camera and go running out the door and grab a shot and know that I should be able to get something out of it. And then finally, you want to know where to format your cards because you don't want to you, you know you don't want to format them in your computer what you want to do is take your card out put it into the computer download your images back those images up in two different places one in the cloud and one in a different physical location and when you feel comfortable that that those images are sufficiently backed up so that you are safe, you put the camera, the card back into your camera and you reformat the card. So you don't want to let them continue building and building and building up. My dad does it, God bless him. He has five years of images on the same card. That is a risk, is a risk um, that you don't want it to take. You wanna make sure those images are off of that card and somewhere else and then reformat it so that camera works um, that card works most of it more efficiently. All right, so find out how you reformat the card on your camera because you will be doing it after every shoot, after you've backed up your images into at least three different places. All right, so these are the things that, these are settings that you will want to have for your camera, for every uh, every new camera or used camera or borrowed camera. You wanna know where to find these things and uh, set them up. Now, I'm going to also have this in one sort of a, um, image and or PDF download so that you can have it handy somewhere so that you can save it somewhere wherever you, for instance, wherever you save your PDF and you can just try to check through the list of the things that you want to to check before you go off shooting. This helps you keep from having what we now know if you watched uh, Top Photographer as a Roxy moment, and by no men means meant to be disparaging to it, Roxy. Um, she talked about it on the episode couple when we when I interviewed her about you know how this was one of the moments that sort of almost defined her experience there and not in a good way because she picked up a camera and assumed she knew where the settings were and now came back from a really critical shoot without having raw files. And so to keep you from having one of those kinds of moments, you want to be able to tick through the kinds of things that you want to always be able to set whenever you pick up a camera that's not your own. Oh, and one more thing. I almost forgot this one. If you are shooting on a full-frame camera, in many full-frame cameras, there's a setting that lets you toggle between using, being able to use full-frame lenses or your crop sensor lenses. And there is a button that says automatically sense when you're using the wrong or the crop sensor lens in a full-frame camera and allow you to get an image from from that camera, which will just have a lower resolution or not at all. So if you are picking up a full frame camera for the first time, you want to check that as well to make sure that it is defaulted the wherever you want it to go. All right. 
All right, that's it. So now you have the full list when you pick up your new camera and you take it out of the box, make sure all your settings are where you want them. Well, that's it for another episode of the Shutterbug Life Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, remember, you can make sure you don't miss another one by subscribing at shutterbuglife.com forward slash subscribe, and you'll get uh, an email from me whenever we go live with another one so that you always know to go and check. And of course, when there are other um, when the other opportunities that I've created, you'll get reminders of those as well. If you subscribe on iTunes and or Stitcher, you can always follow follow the Shutterbug Life podcast there as well. And uh, I hope you do. And if you do, share a rating and a review if you have the time, because that's always helpful. By the way, the Shutterbug Life is more than a podcast. We are a community of friendly photographers who shoot, share, and learn together. You can join our Facebook group, so between episodes, you can follow along and share what you're working on so we can see what you're up to. Just go to fb.shutterbuglife.com to join the Facebook group, and when you get in, just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you shoot, what you work on, where you are, so that we can all um, be introduced to you and your work. If you are in D.C. or New York City, join in any of our meetups there and come on out and shoot and share with us. It's We just started the New York City meetup a year ago. And uh, so we, we're having our one-year anniversary meetup this uh, coming uh, January 7. We'll go back to Grand Central Terminal, which is where we had our very first meetup and, uh, and or start and we'll not start over again, but at least recognize the first anniversary by doing that shoot again. So that should be a lot of fun. If you can get to New York City on January 7, that's where we will be shooting. And we'd love to to join there. There's a bunch of stuff happening in D.C. as well. As, as a matter of fact, if you want to learn with me in Washington, D.C., I am doing uh, starting the year also with some uh, basic everything you need to know to learn the basics on your camera um, photography tours. So you can find out more about that on the show notes as well and come on out and join me for that. And then this spring I'll be in New Orleans doing my, my annual or recurring weekend long travel photography, street photography, fun photography um, a weekend there, and it's a great learning vacation experience. And then coming beyond that in the fall, we're doing a cruise up New England into Canada on our first photography cruise. whole bunch of stuff going on. Get to the website, shutterbooklife.com, and you can find out more about that. Go through some back episodes in our archives and continue shooting, sharing, and learning with all of us. Thank you again for being for listening and being a part of the community i'm so glad that you are here wherever you go this week whatever you shoot enjoy your shutterbug life take care <laughs>